Welcome back to the Chartwell Chronicles. I'm Colin Davis. And just a friendly reminder that Chartwell is more than just New Jersey workers' compensation. We have a multitude of different practice areas from uh, uh, multiple jurisdictions. And if you have any questions, feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at chartwelllaw.com or visit us at our website, chartwelllaw.com. You can also shoot us direct emails as well. And uh, we are heading down to the state of Florida today. Uh, we, I'd like to thank uh, Tom Marchese for uh, joining us. How's it going, Tom? Good, good, Colin. Thanks for having me on the show, the podcast. I'm glad to have you. Are you in the mourning stage right now, the anger stage? I know Florida State being left out of the playoffs got to hit you pretty hard. You know, I was hoping we weren't going to go down that route and pull that scab off. But, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a rough uh, couple of days since the FBS announcements, man. Uh, a lot of uh, – a lot, a lot of hate being spewed locally, um, but you know what? Had a lot of a lot of pride with our team going thirteen and zero this year, uh, doing the last two games with backup quarterbacks. Um, so you yeah, know, you, you can't you can't be too sad about that outcome. But I would have liked to see us playing in an FBS bowl this season. I fully agree. You should be in the playoff, but that's a that's a time that's a conversation for another podcast. We're going to talk about some Florida Florida comp today. I just uh, had to bring that up because I've. That just frustrating. It, I'll it, leave it, it at that. Really, so, sorry, guy. It's okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Yeah, as you mentioned, my name's Tom Marchese. I'm a partner here with Chartwell. Um, I work out of the Tallahassee offices, one of the seven that we have here in the state. Uh, I am the uh, team lead for the work comp in Florida. So I, uh, I won't say manage, but I, I, I kind of delegate uh, a lot of the workers' compensation work across the state. I've uh, been doing comp, so hard to date myself, for 25 years now. Um, interestingly, I started out as a uh, liability attorney at my first firm, and then slowly I started getting comp files, and then I was getting three comp files for every liability file, and then I've been um, a comp lawyer ever since. Been at Chartwell for eight years. Uh, love it here. Really, uh, really great law firm, um, great uh, team I work with. And so I'm happy to be on the show and be part of the Chartwell family. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to have you on. This is a it's a fun it's a fun little thing uh, that we do here. I've, we've been going state by state since we've expanded. We're trying to get all of our different uh, jurisdictions, someone from our different jurisdictions. So this is this is a uh, this is pretty fun, pretty laid back, as I'm sure you've heard from other people. But uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Florida Comp, and then we can uh, go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's a deep subject. Obviously, we could talk, or I could talk for hours about it. Um, Florida Comps is a pretty litigious. Um, we're a very, very fee-driven state by the uh, claimants bar, so we do get a lot of volume down here. Um, I have a. It's one of the more expensive states for the carriers to to write in because of the litigation. Um, but I like the activity of it. I mean, there's never a dull moment. We're always doing depositions, mediations, trials, those type of things. Um, you know, early on, I had a brief stint of kind of, I'll call it corporate work, where I just sat in the office and drafted, con drafted contracts and things along those lines. And I didn't like it at all. So this type of activity and fast-paced fast action uh, really suits my personality type. I was gonna say I heard fast pass. We were gonna say what there's a Disney component. There's like a Disney thing in. Uh, yeah, no, 
that's hey, that's all that's all Florida is doing. You know, everyone thinks of Florida, they think of Mickey Mouse and the Fast Pass, right? <laughs> that that's great. Have you guys been in court uh pretty much in person the whole time or did you uh, are you doing virtual? How how did COVID affect the court? Yeah, I mean despite our uh you know, our, our reckless uh, uh, reputation down here in Florida, we actually did uh, did close the courts for a while, um, probably not as long as a lot of our other jurisdictions. You know, our governor down here was um, very interested in keeping things going during the COVID period and did a, did a good job of it. So we had very little of the shutdown that some of the other states saw. Um, so we did go all virtual during COVID. We are now back to a hybrid, which is basically whatever the parties want, we can do. So um, if we want to attend a trial or a hearing live, we can. If not, if we both agree that it'll be virtual via Zoom or Teams or whatever the, the case might be, we can do that as well. All our mediations are held virtually now. So where it used to be, um, each jurisdiction had their assigned state mediators now there's a mediator pool. So when we mediate a case, we never know what state mediator we're going to get. It's just based on calendar availability. So it's kind of interesting. It's nice to meet new mediators outside of the jurisdictions where I, where I represent clients. Um, but sometimes it can have its, its hurdles as well, um, given the mediator might not know the local doctors or the judges as well. Um, so I guess the, the short answer, which not being short, is uh, it's a hybrid situation here where we can we can go virtual for most things and there's no live requirement. How about that? that so that's kind of how we are in New Jersey. Uh, we're we're pretty hybrid. Some of my venues are all virtual unless we have to try it. And then others are allowing us to come in. One venue that I go to is almost ex- like it was pre-COVID, which is great. But that was interesting what you said about the, me- the mediators, because we do not have that in New Jersey. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the, what, how they interact in the case? Yeah, sure. So the uh, the Florida Work Comp statute, it's Section 440. Uh, not that anybody needs to know that, but that's pretty much the uh, statute that governs all the workers' compensation claims here in the state of Florida. Uh, we have a mandatory mediation requirement. So when a case is instituted, a claimant through his or her attorney will file what's called a petition for benefits basically telling the court uh, and the, the employer and the carrier, hey, I believe I'm entitled to indemnity or I believe I'm entitled to these medical benefits, whatever the case might be. Um, if those benefits are in dispute or not provided, uh, then we'll have to go to a mandatory state mediation. Okay. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the mediation process. It's basically just where we, the parties get together with an independent or a neutral third party, uh, which is the mediator, try to work them out. Uh, if we can't, then we will get set on a trial docket and try the case uh, within 210 days of the filing of the petition for benefits. Um, we can also discuss lump sum settlement here in Florida. I don't know if that's something you can do in New Jersey, uh, but that happens quite a bit as well. Yes, we, we do have lump. We are. It's called a Section 20 in New Jersey. We can have a lump sum and it closes out the claim. But uh, I don't know. Are you allowed to do the the uh, condition of resignation with it in Florida? Because we cannot do that in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, we can. Um, the judge of compensation claims is what we, what we call uh, our administrative law judge where we try cases. They don't have jurisdiction over that document because it's not part of the comp settlement, um, but we are allowed to do it uh, as part of or as a condition of settlement. Um, generally, there's a separate consideration that comes directly from the employer. It's not paid by the insurance carrier. 
So it just basically forms a contract uh, between the employer and the injured worker um, to resolve any and all claims that they may or potentially could have between them. I'm so jealous every time I ask that question to everybody else in our uh, different offices because I wish we were able to do that in New Jersey. It it has such a benefit. Um, so the, the mediators, you had mentioned earlier, you might get one from, so if I heard right, they can come from different, so you could get a Miami mediator up in Tallahassee, essentially. Yeah, yeah, correct. I, I probably didn't answer your question as you posed it. Yeah. Um, so it used to be, I have a few clients I handle the whole state for, I mean, it's becoming more prevalent now that most things are virtual, but obviously before things were all virtual, uh, state of Florida being a long north-south state, you can really cover all, all the venues very well. Um, so I have some clients I cover all the state for, but mostly I stay up in the northern part of the state, as I mentioned, I'm in Tallahassee. So my little uh, zone before we went all virtual is pretty much Jacksonville to Tallahassee, over to Panama City and Pensacola. So kind of the, the top T of Florida. Um so those would be, you know, I'd get real familiar with those mediators meeting in cases with them day in, day out. Um, now, though, like I said, yeah, like you mentioned, I could have a Miami mediator, I could have an Orlando mediator, Tampa mediator um, in any different case. And they're all they're all varying levels of, of efficient. Um, it's just getting to know their personalities and how they like to work. So it's just a, a different uh, a different method we're working under now. Okay. I know when we talked uh, I, about uh, Pennsylvania that Philadelphia was pretty drastically different than the rest of the state. Do you know, is there anything like that in, in Florida? Yeah, 100%. Um, not so much with the mediators, but with counsel. Um, generally, the farther south you go is considered to be more and more litigious. So when you get down into the Miami area and the Fort, uh, the, uh, Fort Lauderdale and the Palm Beach County area, uh, it can get a little more aggressive. It can get a little more, um, litigious. we'll just go with litigious down there. So, I mean, I cut my teeth down there. I litigated in Palm Beach County for 15 years before I moved up North. Um, but up here it's much more laid back, can seal a deal with a handshake type thing. Uh, not so much down in Miami, um, for sure. And, and the mediators, I won't say they're, they they act any differently, but they know who their audience is, so they, they must kind of change their tactics to, to deal with the local council. All right. Does, do a majority of cases uh, get figured out in mediation? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say a majority uh, do. Um, so as far as trying cases, I might try five to six to seven cases in a year. Um, but I handle, you know, well over a hundred. So percentage wise, that shows you that, you know, very little doesn't get resolved either through resolution of the issues at mediation or through a lump sum settlement. Okay. Um, you know, I want to, I want to turn the tables on you because this is something I always find fascinating. You asked me about settlement in Florida or we started discussing it. Um, and you called it the section 20. Did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. But you also have what's called a reopener, right? Yes. Yes, we do. What is that about where you can pay someone to settle a case and they're like, nope, I'm going to come back and get some more benefits. Yes. it's uh, That's why I said I am so just so <laughs> sad that we don't get to uh, tag resignation to a settlement. But yeah, so essentially is what it is, is when we um, say, say somebody has a back, it, it usually happens in a lot of times with surgeries uh, that are the easiest to say. So say you have a back surgery, it doesn't really matter what surgery was but we go to settle it if we have a z if our permanency doctor gives a zero 
we have a good chance of section 20-ing that. Um, however, when our doctor puts a, a number on it, say he puts a 3.5% disability rating, we're not going to be able to do a lump sum settlement in that. And we're going to have to settle what's called the order approving settlement, which gives reopener rights. Oh. So we'll be able to settle for a surgery, a back surgery, standard back surgery settles anywhere in the range of 25% to 30%. So they'll be sitting on that number, and they have two years to reopen the claim from either their last monetary benefit or medical benefit. So sometimes these reopener rights can stretch out a while because if your case settled today, but you don't have a lot of accrual um, in weeks for the settlement, you could be getting paid for three and four years, and it's two years from that point that last payment wow. when you can reopen it. So sometimes it's not just two, I mean, it's not just two years from today where it'd be uh, 12, seven, 20, 25. It could be in 26 or 27, depending on that. So yeah, it, it's, it's rough um, with it because a lot of the times people know that they'll come back on the bigger cases. I'm, I'm, I know that uh, sometimes the petitioner attorneys will contact uh, their people to reopen it. And it's tough because Sometimes you'll get lucky, and most of the time it's there's no new treatment recommended, but sometimes it's worse. Your doctor relates it, and then they just can keep going. I mean, I have a case I'm about – I just settled that was on its third reopener. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so when we settle, when we settle down here, we get an order from the court, and the only way uh, – I won't call it – it can be reopened. The only way it can be overturned is if they could prove there was some type of fraud in the inducement or fraud in the negotiations. And – I think I've maybe seen that once in 25 years, you know, so. Yeah, I would say it, it, it's not even 50-50. I think the majority, I'd say over 70% probably are order approvings, at least in my, in my uh, of the cases I handle. But we always try to push for those Section 20s for that exact reason. I mean, anytime there's even the slightest bit of a a way to do it. And a lot of the times our judges are really cool. They'll be okay. As long as both parties agree, you can section 20 it. But every once in a while, they'll say, Hey, this is even too far for me. So even if it's ripe for us, the judge might have a different opinion. So yeah, it, it's, it, it, I love talking to the other adjusters from that get transferred to New Jersey. Like, yeah. What is this again? And it's, yeah, it's, okay. it's always this, it's like the reaction you had. It's, yeah, it I is, mean, it's shocking to me, but Hey, yeah, it's it's that's New Jersey for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it, it kind of helps though, like because when so when you have a trial, is it a full trial or can you settle before you get through the full trial? So we can settle piecemeal issues. I mean, we could lump some settlement at any time. I mean, I've settled them in the in the judges, you know, in the judges chambers before. So okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can settle anywhere until you uh, hell you could probably settle in the middle of trial. I've never had it happen, but um, so you know they can file petitions for benefits. What I told you about, where they ask the court for benefits, there could be eight or ten issues on there. You can settle individual issues and go to hearing on only one or two. Um, okay, or you can settle via lump sum, like I said, and then the case is extinguished and goes away entirely from the court's docket. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we, we can some, we, we can do it. So obviously we can settle at any time. Usually we'll take petitioner's testimony. And before we go to get to bring in the doctors, we will settle. Uh, sometimes it'll, we can section 20 at that point, or it'll go order approving, but we get the judge's opinion after the, the lay witnesses come in. And a lot of the times we'll, that's where we'll settle. We won't push it all the way to the doctors because the, the judge has pretty much seen the reports and knows how they'll testify. And, 
essentially at that point, we're just adding uh, costs to the uh, client rather than dumping it out. We're not going to change the judge's opinion at that point. But there are there is one I have coming up that I'm going to have to try through doctors. And it that'll be my first complete trial when it happens, because we don't really have them as like they don't go full as a lot up here. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, it might be five to seven a year for me down here. Um, so it's not a lot either. Can you guys depose the uh, claimant or petitioner at any time or do you have to wait for a certain mile mile post in the case milestone i guess we don't really depose petitioners actually it does so essentially i mean we can send out uh interrogatories to them which would be the closest thing i mean every once in a while you'll have a judge say oh why don't you just go depose the person and it's more of a veiled threat than it is an actual thing usually we just have petitioner come in and just testify and and talk and it, it it's it works out that way. I mean, they're 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 still under oath either way, and it helps better because the judges are involved at that point. So it, it it usually we put them on when it's either petitioners having a or petitioners counsel has a really difficult client who doesn't want to agree to our settlement, or we have a position where it's like, look, this is what our carrier is telling us ha- actually happened, and this is what your guy we know is going to testify to. So there's a major difference. So no, no real depositions up here for it. Okay. Because, yeah, we have a kind of a standardized uh, procedure. I mean, it, it's not set by the court or anything. It's just kind of the way the events work out. So as I mentioned, the petition for benefits is filed. We have 130 days to get to mediation at that point. So generally in those 130 days, we'll take the claimant's deposition. Um, okay. Some of the more aggressive uh, claimant's attorneys might take the adjuster or the employer reps deposition during that period. But generally, they set those for after the mediation in case we can't resolve the issues and can't settle it via lump sum. So then we get to mediation. Obviously, if we settle it, it goes away. We do a settle settlement document, send them to the judge for approval, and we're done. If it doesn't settle, then generally, like I said, the adjuster and employer rep will be deposed. Any doctors that we need to get their testimony into evidence will be deposed, and then we'll go try the case. So that's kind of the, the standardized method of getting to from point A to point B in a trial situation. Okay, that, that that's that's more more like it is in superior court up here than uh, comp court. It's it's uh, so your settlements that are not lump sum. Um, did uh, we have when we settle on order approving with reopen? It, it's a percentage of disability. Is that how uh, yours are? No, we have no scheduled um, settlements down here. Meaning, there's no set value for anything. Now, the only ratings we'll get the percentage is the permanent impairment rating. And that's just when the claimant's placed at MMI, um, the doctor will assign a permanent impairment rating. And we have a guide down here that the doctor has to use. And I'll give you the date so you know how, how long ago it was updated. The 1996 Florida Impairment Guide. So it hasn't been updated since 1996. But basically, it's a book about uh, two inches thick. Um, it's online as well. But most of the doctors have the book in their office. Uh, and they just go through it and they look at, you know, a one level herniated disc and a lumbar spine is worth 6%. Uh, if it was operated on, it's an additional 1%. And then we pay out what's called permanent impairment ratings or okay. uh, impairment benefits. But as far as valuing cases for settlement, it's much more um, subjective. So okay. we just look at the injury and say, you know, based upon this type of injury, generally we have exposure for indemnity of 
you know, 15 to 30 weeks and that's worth X amount, future medicals worth X amount. And then we just negotiate with the other side to find somewhere within that that reasonable or that middle ground to see if we can get it settled. Okay, so like, so it sounds uh, so like when if we have two back cases that are at the same rate when they settle for twenty five percent, it'll be the same monetary number. So you, sim, you, your percentage might not be that same number. No, I see. No, not at all. There's a, there's a. I mean, we can ballpark it pretty closely, um, but yeah, it could be assigned two different ways by two different doctors for sure. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that's great. That that's crazy. That makes the negotiation a little uh, more fun because it, it, it's pretty standard here. Like everybody knows what a surgery is worth. That it, 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 that that can get kind of the monotonous, but at the same time, at least I know when I'm uh, prepping a client. Like, hey, this is the range I'm in, and this is uh, this is that monetary range. Whereas it, I see it, I'm, I'm I'm not jealous of that part of Florida. So, so you mentioned just as a general rule, a back a back surgery case would settle for twenty five to thirty percent. Yes. So, what is that monetarily? Like, does it depend on the AWW or the wage, uh, or is it? It does, and as long as you're uh, not a um, capped rate, it's it's you're pretty good um, overall. Uh, but it, that's going to be up in the um, fifty to a hundred thousand range, give or take. Yeah, see, and, and so if I have a back surgery, let's say a one-level fusion, um, goes through therapy, doctor places an MMI, 6%, that case is maybe 20 to 25 down here for me. Okay. Unless there's an exposure for permanent total disability benefits, which is a whole other ballgame, but. Oh yeah, I yeah. So like twenty twenty five percent is fifty thousand, and if you get it to closer to a third, which is thirty three percent, you're at a, you're at a, a hundred thousand because it's it's done over week. We pay it over weeks. It add, the weeks add up, and you, you multiply that rate. So it's it's a pretty wide range, and that 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 when it jumps from that up to that hundred thousand, it's called what we get call going over the hump, which is thirty three percent, and it, it bump it bumps up right there. The, the monetary value goes way up, so we always try to keep it under that if possible, because that's where you really see the monetary uh, aspect jump, and that's what hurts too with the reopener, because if we settle a case for thirty, a small increase uh, is going to go to the hump, and it's just while he could have little treatment it's reopened it's going to kick up a, a lot of money which is why the reopener can be frustrating <laughs> for yeah. sure yeah no doubt that's that's uh that's craziness in my in my mind because it's something that's not used to it, it, it I, I i did both i was a petitioner attorney first and uh before i came to chartwell and it was it was always i I like I, I kind of even on the other side. I mean, I, I definitely was destined to be a respondent attorney. I'll be completely <laughs> honest about that. Um, but like I, I it was like, oh, yeah, you can like a broken hand. This is this is the one that always gets me like a broken bone heals. It's it, there's no real uh, worsening, but people then get to come back for a little bit or like with a back surgery, a shoulder surgery. I get it. You might mess it up and. I understand it, but like certain ones, it's like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we have the same mentality. I, I've had my offers over the years to work on the other side of the table and, and I've never taken them because that's the reason why. I mean, I have no issue with legitimate injuries, people that are, that really need it. I mean, I always tell my clients, look, pay this, you know, that's why you have comp insurance. We got to take care of this. He's a good worker, whatever. But the ones that 
are not so legitimate just get stick in my throat and that's why i could never be on the other side of the fence too because i can never sit across the table from that person and be like oh yeah let's go get millions for this that's just not my that's just not my mentality no i i know because i i have a one of my very first uh but it was a te- testimony taken i had i pinned down the petitioner great on the facts we had we go back in the chambers to argue with the judge the judge is like yeah you're right but you're still gonna pay this amount and it's like that's like we're we're that's the one frustrating thing like we're we're barely ever getting we like if we have a, a dismissal in new jersey it's because petitioner didn't comply essentially if we if even if i pin somebody down in trial it's just lowering our overall settlement number as opposed to getting it to zero which can be frustrating <laughs> Because you can have a great line, it's like okay, we got to we got to drop down, but at the same time, they still they're still getting something, which is frustrating. Yeah, yeah, there's no complete wins. I mean, really. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we can try. We can try a case to a zero. I mean, we can try a case to a full defense verdict here, which is great. We absolutely can here too, but it it's it's not as common as I I feel like the facts that we have sometimes say they should be. <laughs> I got you. I got you. But one thing I know that we have in New Jersey that that I know a lot of other people love is we get to dictate treatment, so we get to choose the doctors. That is that the same in Florida, or how does that work? Yeah, no, it it is the same. So let's say it's a straight up compensable case. Um, you know, hey, I, I banged my knee, whatever. Uh, the employer carrier controls care. We would authorize the initial walk-in clinic or primary care facility, whatever the case might be. Uh, if at that point or, or later on they're referred to an orthopedic surgeon, something along those lines, we would also pick that doctor. Um, the only time the claimant gets to control their own care is in a situation where they request a one-time change. So the statute provides for a, a one-time change in doctors. Let's just say they hate the doctor, he's got a bad bedside manner, whatever the case might be. It's usually just because they're not getting an opinion they want. Um, right. They'll ask for a one-time change. We have five days to respond and provide a new doctor. If we do so, if we say, hey, okay, we got it, uh, your, your request for one-time change, we're authorizing Dr. Smith in place of Dr. Jones, we're still good. If we blow it in any way, then they get to pick the replacement doctor and things can go off the rails from there. Um, they also have the ability to get an IME, which is an independent medical evaluation. I'm sure you have them up there as well. Yes. Um, so sometimes they'll do that if they've already used their one-time change and they're still not getting what they think is the opinion they like. Uh, they'll get an IME uh, to, to try to bolster their case or, or to try to get those opinions into evidence. But other outside of the one-time change provision that I mentioned, we control care from, from uh, beginning to end. Okay. Yeah. That uh, the thing I would equate to that in New Jersey is a lot of times they'll, they'll ask for a second opinion. If uh, something comes along where it, it usually you're right, it's, it's where they're not, it's not going the way they want or something like some, like it, or this a surgery is being recommended and they're unsure. They'll want to get a second opinion. We are able to also pick that doctor where it gets a little, uh, where it sometimes comes out of our hands is if they file a motion with their uh their doctor and then the do- the uh judge will uh, actually pick a tie break a tie break doctor or make us agree on a doctor that's not one necessarily that we always use or it be somebody that petitioner will agree to because unfortunately they they get a little bit that it, and it sucks because they'll use an ime against our treating doctor and it, it's considered equal even though the statute says it treating doctors to be given weight but then we'll end up at a 
second opinion, but sometimes we'll agree to a second opinion before a motion just because I don't want to deal with give the have the carrier get hit with motion fees when I know the judge is gonna say, Hey, go get the second opinion go get a get second opinion anyway. We can jump ahead of that. Yeah, we have a we have a, what we call an EMA, an expert medical advisor. It's kind of the super doc that you mentioned, the tiebreaker doc. So if we're going to hearing um, we're getting ready to go to hearing and the treating doc says your MMI and they get an IME and says, oh, you're not an MMI. You need a, a surgery. Um, we obviously have a conflict in those opinions. And our statute says that the judge, as a lay person, being a you know, non-doctor, of course, doesn't have the expertise to break that tie um, between two competing medical opinions. So they'll, they'll go to the court will appoint an expert medical opinion. Parties have no control over that doctor. It's just picked from a list of expert medical advisors in the state. Um, okay. So depending on who's picked, that can make or break your case. Because, you know, we kind of know who the good docs are and who the bad docs are for our side. Um, so sometimes you'll get an EMA appointed and you're like, okay, we're great. We're going to win this thing. Or you'll get a bad one and then you have to tell your client, listen, we're not going to come out good in this. We better settle the case or, or, or offer more money or whatever the case might be. Is that examiner who's chosen by the judge, is it at random or if the judge likes that that examiner, they'll pick that one each time? Yeah, they, they say it should be at random, but you'll see certain judges pick certain doctors more often than not. Um, so they have a list of across the state, let's say 15 neurosurgeons, 20 orthopedic surgeons, you know, those type of things in the subspecialties. Um and they're supposed to just run their hand down a list and pick one, but you'll see certain judges picking certain doctors more often than not. That that's kind of how it is here too. But that that it, in a way, it's a good thing because you can at least prepare. Uh, you can prepare your case and the client for what you expect when you draw a certain judge. Now we have lists in New Jersey where we all uh, appear in different venues in front of the same judge every three weeks. Do you appear in front of the same judge a lot, or is it all is it all different judges? Um, it's all different judges. I mean, based upon venue, you know, so wherever the accident county occurs is the judges assigned, you know, like there's three, uh, sitting judges of compensation claims in Orlando. There's two in Jacksonville, one in Pensacola, one in Panama city, one in Tallahassee. There's five in Miami, just based upon the, um, uh, the busyness of the, of the jurisdiction. Um, but we don't appear, we have no regular appearance cycle, um, with the exception okay. of the trial, um, unless someone files a motion requiring the judge to make a decision. Um, we have no reason to appear before a judge unless we're going to go to a hearing on either a final hearing, the trial or uh, a motion here. Okay. Yeah. We, we have a, we, we have like, it's a three, it's a three week cycle there. So day one, week one, day one through week three, day five, and there's lists on each of those days. And every one of us in the office will have our list in a different venue on each day. So it, it, we're, we're with our judges every three weeks. So it, it, it's good because you get to know them well, you get to the, the case, but at the same time, you can't then like blow up on a case and you have to pick your spot when you're really going to go hard on a case. It's got to be worth it because you're going to then have to piss the judge off. And then five minutes later, he's going to be like, hey, we're going to talk about this case now. And it's like, oh, good. This is fun. Yeah, we, it used to be uh, that way down here when I was uh, when I was down in South Florida. I mean, it's probably been changed for 15 years now. We would have weekly calendar calls. Uh, where we do pretrial stipulations, motion hearings, all that stuff was live. Uh, now the pretrials are submitted, um, you know, just straight up to the judge's website. 
And again, unless the, the someone files a motion or we're going to a final hearing, I don't even see the judge. Wow, yeah, I, that that it's crazy when I hear that from uh, all the other state, all the other states. I, I was surprised you have such uh, only five judges in uh, Miami. I would have thought there is a uh, what would have been way more than that uh, down there. Because I mean, in Newark, we have oh, I guess we have five judges there now. But in the past, they've had even more up in New- in Newark. Uh, that would be our that's the biggest venue in the state up here. Yeah, I think the Miami judges would like to have more more down there because I know they have a heavy caseload. Um, you'll see every once in a while when a judge gets too tied up, they'll punt a case to another jurisdiction. Uh, they'll say, "Listen, you're going to have to have this hearing in front of you know the the Tampa judge because we're just too busy down here. We just have too many conflicts." So they'll do that from time to time, but it doesn't happen doesn't happen a lot. You know, I want to okay. ask you a question. You, you said something earlier about. Um, you don't want to expose your client to motion fees. It, yes. Is that what you said? Okay. How's the fee structure set up in New Jersey as far as for petitioners counsel? So for settlements, uh, for settlements, it's, it's um, 20, the fee is 20%. Uh, if, if it's a uh, section 20, that 20% fee is paid entirely by the petitioner. On a reopener, uh, the fee is broken down. Sixty percent of that twenty percent is paid by the re- the respondent, and forty percent of the twenty percent is paid by petitioner. However, in the mo- if, if for motion fees, that's that's all being paid for by the carrier, and it can be anywhere from zero to twenty percent. Uh, most of the judges don't hit you at twenty percent unless we actually take testimony. So it can go anywhere from twelve and a half percent up to up to twenty percent, but twelve and a half to fifteen is where it'll be if it's non-litigated um, and you come to an agreement just uh, without any testimony. But and that fee is anything that was the basis of the motion. So if the most basis of the motion was to see Doctor X. Dr. X recommends mostly conservative treatment and eventually a surgery. It would be 20% of all that medical plus all the temp that would be paid is where is how that fee. So if it can get pretty hot, it can get pretty big and there used to be a cap on it on it. But uh, years back, they took that that cap off. So it it's uh, it's rough if you get those uh, motion fees. So that's why we're we. I'm willing to jump on a second opinion once they ask for it before, because a lot of the times the second opinion is either A, it's going to quickly MMI the person, or B, it might say, hey, surgery isn't really needed or the petitioner's against surgery anyway, and they we want to get that uh, done because th- those motion fees can hit you, especially if a surgery is recommended. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I see where that could get expensive. So you have no... Um interim or hourly fees that would be paid by the employer care or the response to to the petitioner's attorney yeah no it's it's all lump it, it the fees are all lump sum uh lump sums yeah 20 percent. okay so yeah so i'll give you an insight into why you know litigation so high here so let's say um Claimants counsel, and I know we're using interchangeable changeable terms, just what it's called down here. When I say claimants counsel or for the audience and for you, it's petitioner's counsel. Um, right. So um, they say, hey, I think you got the AWW wrong by $1. And 
And we say, no, 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 we got it right. Okay. And so we go, we take some depositions of the payroll representative, the adjuster, the claimant, whatever the case might be. And it winds up that we got it wrong by a dollar, right? We okay. say, okay, you proved us wrong. You, you got a dollar increase in the AWW. Claimants counsel can then file what's called a verified fee petition for any and all time he put into litigating that issue. And depending on the venue you're in, I mean, it could be anywhere from 15 to 50 hours, which could be fee exposure from anywhere of, you know, five grand to 20 grand. So my point being is for an increase in the AWW of a dollar, we could potentially owe an attorney's fee of $20,000. Oh yeah. So that, so yeah, that that's crazy. Yeah. The only time you'll get a judge to ask for like an ad, they'll, they'll sometimes ask petitioner attorneys to provide an affidavit of services is when, uh, say counsel a started the case and then petitioner changed attorneys because if they can't agree to a split the judge will say hey give me your give me your the amount of work you did price it out um and the only other time i've seen that is on a case like if it's a really big uh motion fee number and while we don't have a cap uh on that 20 that 20 percent doesn't have a cap anymore it's you get the full the judges will still uh sometimes work with you and make sure that it was uh, asked, asked to see what actual work they did. But that's insane just for a one. So obviously if it's worth doing it for petitioner attorneys down there, that's a, that's, that's a Florida thing. Wow. That, <laughs> yeah. That's why we get such a, a flurry of litigation because obviously the more petitions for benefits they file, the more potential for them to get a benefit that we missed or failed to respond. Uh, so we have 30 days to reply and to, to provide the benefit. So you file a petition saying, hey, I want uh, I got to get this MRI that Dr. Smith recommended. And they'll, you know, they'll file a petition, they'll attach the recommendation from Dr. Smith. And we'll assume that Dr. Smith's an authorized doc. And if for some reason the claims adjuster misses it or just decides they don't want to do it, whatever the case might be, within 30 days, on the 31st day, if we thereafter have to provide that benefit, that MRI, we owe claimants counsel a fee. For doing it, okay. be paid by the employer care. And like I said, depending on the venue and the uh, litigiousness of the opposing counsel, that can be a pretty pricey thing. Um, I had a settlement recently. So there's obviously more aggressive and more greedy claimants counsels in different areas. You know, there's always a few gluttonous ones that you know that are going to be problematic. Um, I had a settlement recently with one of my clients. We settled for fifty-seven five. Um, and claimants council took 32, five of that. So they wow. took more than half of the settlement, uh, for themselves and left their client with, uh, whatever the 27 grand, whatever the difference is. Yeah. So you see that quite a bit. And again, the farther South you go, the more often you see that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, that, that's at least the one good thing about the way the fee structure is. I know in, um, they've been trying to change it. Uh, they're trying to, there was a, there's a case that came down that, uh, then got turned over at the appellate level and then the legislature took it up and is trying to bump the fees up to 25%. Um, 
we talked we actually did a pretty in-depth one on that uh i i got fairly heated on saying how ridiculous it was because of the verbiage they were using but yeah that that's at least one protection we have because then petitioner can, uh, councils can't get trial happy because if it's not a good case they're not going to waste their time trying on it it's like okay it's like you want to threaten it's like okay i'll go to i'll go try you on this awful case i mean what's the worst that's going to happen the judge is going to hit me for seventy five hundred dollars so there there's a there's there's good but then when it's a when it's a big one they 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 will they will do it and it's a it's a much bigger threat to take on but at the same time the the uh at least we're somewhat protected even in the worst case scenario we'll get hit at 20 percent of the the fee is still 20 percent so it's not like it's i mean it can be bad but it, it overall it's somewhat protective yeah, no, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's a disincentive for us to litigate down here, you know, and it kind of pushes the carriers to settle some cases they may not otherwise want to settle. You know, I mentioned there could be, you know, eight or 10 benefits going to a hearing. You could win nine of them and lose on one, and you'll still owe fees basically for the entirety of the litigation because they won on that one issue, which I think is atrocious. But you know, uh, how do you interchange when we took Dr. Smith's depo and he took, he testified for two hours, you know, he said an MRI MRI is necessary. You win on the MRI, lose on everything else you file. And so I owe all the time involved in litigation. Um, you know, you mentioned settlements too. So on settlements, so that's the, that's a, that's where we could play have an employer carrier paid fees if we lose on an issue. Um, but on settlements, let's just say we walk into mediation, everyone's agreeable. It says, Hey, 10,000 bucks. I'll take 10,000 bucks. Um, they get a percentage of that paid by the claimant, uh, not paid by the employer carrier, but down here, the claimants councils are free to contract with their clients for the percentage. So it could vary by case based upon their contract. So, so the statutory percentage, uh, provides one amount. Then there's the contracted percentage. Most practitioners are doing 25, but I've seen some that have have formed contracts much more like a uh, a plaintiff or or a liability case where they're doing 33 and a third or up to 40 if they have to go to a trial. So that ranges. And so if I settle for $10,000 in my hypothetical, I'll just ask claimants counsel, what's your percentage? And they'll say, oh, I got a contract with my guy for 33 and a third. So I'll know when I do those documents that I have to take $3,333 and it'll sign it to the fee fee slot. Okay, so yeah, that that yeah, we're 20 percent. You can't. There's not. There's no extra agreement. I mean, count, the council gets reimbursed for their expert, and they can get reimbursed for like um, additional medical records they had to collect. But like that's there. It's only really a reimbursement. You're, it's twenty percent across the board, no matter what. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad we don't have to worry about that because that that's but uh, that's same frustrating too because like uh, I mean you'll you'll see your attorney getting such a big fee and be, you end up with less I mean that's crazy I I don't know I don't know how how some of the claimants lawyers do it but they do it consistently so you know God love them listen it's job security for us I don't necessarily condone it or support it but you know this level of litigation makes Florida a good state. To practice in to keep busy in a good state for the firm um we're very active defending clients but we're also very busy down here 
I'm I'm sure. I mean, I I love driving in Florida, seeing all your crazy lawyer billboards oh. with all the with with all this with all the stuff that uh they 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 mentioned. They're literally one of my absolute favorite favorite signs. Their slogans they have they're great. Well, I'll tell you, we have one national plaintiff's firm that many people have heard of that I won't name, um, but his, his that firm's uh, monthly advertising bill in Florida alone is a million dollars a month. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> my so. I just remember my ethics professor from law school. Every example he gave of what was not considered acceptable was a Florida billboard. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we we are we are a little reckless down here, a little rebellious, but um, it, I mean, it's a fun place to litigate. I, I do enjoy it. Like I t- st- said, starting out, is I really enjoy the activity of it. I, I couldn't just be trapped in an office dra- drafting memos or, or, or contracts all day long. I, I totally agree. And I love the medical aspect we get to have it. So the, the one last question I have is, so we have a venue in each of our counties, except for a couple, they're, they're piggybacked in like Gloucester County and uh, Camden County or in Cam- in Camden. And then same thing down in uh, Cumberland, Salem, they're in, uh, they're in one. Uh, you mentioned uh, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, which are obviously the big, are there smaller, are they, are all your venues in the big cities or do you have some small, are they in smaller oh, counties no. too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like here in Tallahassee, we're in Leon County. It's a fairly small County to be honest with you, despite having the state uh, capital and, you know, FSU and FAMU two universities here. Um, Daytona beach is small. Lakeland's small. Fort Myers is pretty small. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, the bigger cities are definitely more active. A, there's more law firms there. There's probably right. more uh, employers there, which gives rise to more accidents. Um, but, yeah, there there's definitely the bigger ones. Orlando, Tampa, Miami, Jacksonville is pretty big. And then beyond that, it kind of goes down from there. Uh, Panama City Beach, which is just two hours uh, west of me, very small, kind of a quiet one. Pensacola is a little more active. Um, so yeah, it definitely depends on where you are and, and the judge's, um, dispositions vary greatly too. Okay. So it sounds like the I-10 quarter is a little bit, uh, more laid back than the rest of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I cut my teeth in Palm Beach County and moving up here, um, with, with the exception of it, it, very few, um, it's a really good bar, uh, to work with, you know, I have most of their cell numbers. You know, I can settle a case with via text. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to 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 handle those type of cases up here. When I was down south, you know, you'd have opposing firms turning off their fax machines so you couldn't send them anything. You'd have them representing to the judge that you didn't send them anything when you could prove you did. Uh, it was just a little more dirty. Uh, you know, a little fun. And, you know, back in the early days, I wanted to try everything and go win everything. And I've realized as I've gotten older, that's not always the best outcome for your client. You know, moving the cases faster and closing them down is really the best outcome. And that's what we try to do here. Yeah. Your first example of being able to settle by a text or a quick phone call, that's pretty much how New Jersey is. And I love it. I mean, if we're, if we're trying or we're contentious, it's because some, uh, it's because I see a lot of the same attorneys, which I'm, I'm sure you probably do too. So it usually gets contentious because New Jersey is so at the schedule of disabilities. Everything is so, uh, 
specific and, and exact. Um, and at worst case, like I'll get to, oh, we're going to go to the judge and we'll try this. Like, okay, like but you're, it's, you're, yeah. it's a veiled threat. It's like you obviously don't do comp because there's no point in that. So it, it's that's that's nice to hear that you. It's like that. And uh, I really want to thank you for joining us on the, this episode of the Chartwell Chronicles. It was a blast, and we're definitely going to have to have you back on. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I had a ball, man. When I when I got the invite, I was really excited. I've watched, I've listened to a lot of the other ones. Uh, it's a great product you put out, and I'm really happy you invited me on, Colin. Thank you, and we're glad to have you. And uh, we just want to say happy holidays to everyone. As uh, this is our last podcast of 2023, which is kind of scary to say. We'll be back in 2024 with a uh, New Jersey centric and uh, some of the other states uh, that we haven't gotten to yet. So please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you have any topics of interest, fee- feel free to email us at podcast at chartwelllaw.com. Thank you very much.